Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Two Moms and Some Labels. Two Moms and Some Labels is a platform for parents and caregivers to come together in a shared space to network, commune, and just share and gain ideas on how to persevere through challenging times. And today on this episode, we, we've we talked about speech therapy before, about, you know, how important it is to make sure that if we're seeing early signs of our child um, and their speech and language um, being a little behind, how we should get that process started for them to begin um, speech services. But today we're going to dive a little bit deeper into speech, and we're going to talk about AAC devices. You know, this is a lot for my parents that have children that may be nonverbal, um, you know, that have autism, or maybe, you know, they don't have enough words and they need pictures um, or, you know, an automated uh, voice to be able to help them to express their, you know, concerns or their feelings or their needs. And so today I want to dive into that with a very special guest that is going to give us all the scoop on AAC devices and just literacy, language, all of that. And so I am going to let Megan take it away and introduce herself. Thank you, Brittany. I am so happy to be here with you guys on your podcast today. Um, again, like you said, my name is Megan Stewart. I am a speech language pathologist here in um, the local Jacksonville area. And um, I have over 20 years of experience working primarily with kids with complex communication needs, AAC users, really focusing in on that AAC piece, the language piece, and the literacy piece. So it's my passion. It's what I love to do. So I'm happy to join you and talk about it today. Awesome. And so before we even dive into, um, you know, AAC and just literacy and language, can you just tell us a little bit about like what made you get into this field? Yeah, absolutely. So it was kind of an odd entry and the fact that when I was in high school, um, we took a thing, I think it was like called an aptitude test. I don't know if that's what it was really called, but it was basically like what you're interested in, you mark those things. And then it kind of spits out through some kind of algorithm. I don't really understand it, but said, this is what you might be interested in, in pursuing for a career. And I had always wanted to be a helper. So I had thought about pediatrician and teacher and all of those things. Um, but my algorithm from the quiz shot out speech language pathologist. I had never heard of that before, had no clue what that was. Um, but I thought, well, my scores are really high in that area. I guess I should probably check it out. So when I went to um, the university, I went to the first class that was like the introduction class to speech language pathology, fell in love with it. And I guess you could say the rest is history because then I just declared that as my major and I didn't look back. So um, I got really lucky with that. And I guess that quiz was right. <laughs> that was what wow. I was supposed to do because I feel right where I'm supposed to be. Wow, that is amazing. Oh my gosh. I, I don't remember taking a test like that, but that is definitely, you know, something nice to have and, and look where it brought you. So that was definitely, you know, a great tool. And I'm so glad that you took that test and you're here helping our kids today, um, you know, to live their best lives. Um, Absolutely. So uh, let's talk a little bit about um, AAC and exactly what that is, because 
um, though AAC, it stands for something. So can you explain a little bit about what AAC is exactly? Absolutely. So AAC as an acronym, it stands for Augmentative and Alternative Communication. So there are two different parts there. You hear the augmentative and the alternative. So the augmentative builds upon speech or verbal or mouth words that a student may actually already have. And it may just help in some of those difficult times where they might be frustrated or they have some language, but they need help expanding those phrases and making them longer, making them clearer for people to understand. So that's the augmentative piece it builds. Um, the alternative piece is more focused upon, it does the same things, but it's focused more for those students that don't yet have mouth words or verbal words. Um, and that is kind of augmented, or I'm sorry, alternative is kind of like a replacement. Although I don't like that term because it's not, you know, replacing, there's lots of communication that's happening regardless of how you're doing it. But that's a kind of easy way to kind of think about it. It helps give them that opportunity to communicate what's already happening up here just in a clearer way that I guess you could say that people would understand more clearly. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I always talk about, um, you know, before like my daughter, she um, we just used a button um, mm -hmm. and we were just working with the button at first, you know, me verbally asking her questions and her using the button. And a lot of parents might get discouraged and might think, okay, you know, we're not going to get anywhere with this, but it really takes a lot of practice, just trial and error and just like repetitiveness. Like you have yeah. to do it every day you have to do it all the time in order for it to you know register especially mm -hmm. for our children that have you know cognitive um you know disabilities or delays um you definitely it takes a lot of practice and um so after a lot of practice with just the button and me verbally asking questions, prompting, um, then we were able to go in and talk about getting the device. Cause I had no idea that, you know, the device could even be possible for my child because she's in a wheelchair, she has poor vision, mm -hmm. um, you know, and she's nonverbal. And then with her spasticity and not even really being able to, you know, like hit the button all the way sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, all these things play in factor. And so it's just, like, is it really something that she is going to be accurate on doing or not? And, you know, come to find out again, after so much practice, you know, now she's making choices and yeah. she, her accuracy is getting so much better. And I'm so glad that, you know, we were introduced to the AAC device because now she has even more of a voice and it's, you know, under her control, you know, so it's giving her some power back to her life, being able to use the AAC device to communicate with, you know, her family and friends. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I'm really happy that we have the AAC device and, you know, we have people like you that are working with our children every day to help them, you know, show everyone what their voice is and that they do have a voice and they Absolutely. do want to be heard. Yeah, I think that you brought up a couple good points there. There's a whole spectrum of AAC too. So there is like the high tech devices, like you were talking about that a lot of people, that's what we think of. Um, but it can also be as simple as pictures on a core vocabulary communication board. Like you could take a snapshot of that 
homepage on your daughter's communication device and have it printed. And that's AAC too. That button that you were talking about before, that's AAC. So there's this huge spectrum. Um, and like you said, it's very personalizable for kids. And so you can really get down to what they want to communicate about and what's going to be the most beneficial for them as an individual. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't even know that, you know, all those other things were considered to be AAC as well. So, you know, that's some new information to learn about. And um, so, you know, also when kids like have um, autism and they have the mm -hmm. uh, sensory boards, um, mm -hmm. I think that's what they're called. So is that that would be a form of AAC or if it's something that's benefiting them as far as communication. So okay. as far as a sensory board, if it was something where they would pick the sensory item that they would be communicating that this is what I need to help me regulate sensory wise, then yes, that would be. But if it's more of just like a tactile item, that would be more of like um, a sensory diet or some kind of assistive technology, okay. which is AAC is part of that assistive technology, but they are different, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Okay. Um, so um, the AAC comes more most into play when you're talking about the communication piece. So if you can communicate through that, um, it's it can be considered AAC. So even like a gesture, like texting, um, anything like that can be considered AAC. So I guess you could say probably all of your listeners are AAC users and just didn't even know it um, and have more in common, you know, with their students that might be AAC users or their children that might be AAC users than they thought. And so um, I just want to like clarify. So um, on an AAC device, an actual device, is it something where, you know, the child is going to be looking at their favorite TV show on or accessing it through that? Or is the AAC solely for the child to be able to use, you know, words and pictures to communicate their needs to maybe like get a, another device to watch their favorite show or access their, you know, favorite toy or whatever it may be. I'm really glad you asked that because that's a very common question that I get um, from, I'm currently working in the schools and when I'm introducing communication devices for students, sometimes they are dedicated devices. So they look a little different than an iPad, but a lot of times they are an iPad with a communication app on them. And a lot of now in this technological age, families, kids see an iPad and they're like, oh, YouTube, my favorite games. Here we go. This is cool. I love this. But yes, my best if it's within budget, if it's within financial means, I do advocate to have two separate tablets or iPads, one that is solely based for communication. And just like you said, they can use that communication tablet in order to ask for their favorite song on YouTube, their favorite show on YouTube, their favorite app. Now, I completely understand that that is not always possible. So I believe that if it's not possible, then that just falls more on us as the therapist working with the family to work with the kiddo to make sure that they understand those different navigation pieces and how they can um, stop communicating at some point, because all of us need quiet time at some point, and go regulate, watch their favorite show for a little bit, and how they can navigate back to that communication app. So if they're able to balance, I think that it's a possibility. But if at all possible, 
um, having two separate tablets or two separate ways to do those two different things, I think is the most beneficial, but within those means, obviously. Yeah. And, um, and I know sometimes it may be hard, especially at first, you know, like I was saying with the repetitiveness and just, you know, being on top of, um, kind of like, I don't want to say training, but, uh, getting your child used to, you know, the adjustment of using their language and then mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the difference between using their language and using their d- device to look at their favorite show, um, that, you know, it's hard to maybe do that at first. And, um, is that like pretty hard to do or like, how can parents help their child be able to, you know, discriminate between the two? Like this is for your language, Mm -hmm. you know, and then this is for your, um, you know, extracurricular or your, you know, when you look, want to look at your favorite show or listen to your favorite song. Yeah, absolutely. For, you know, between the two, because some of them are really attached and it's hard to, you know, get them away from, their their device from looking at their favorite show or what have you yeah absolutely so there's a couple different ways that i've um, dealt with this um you could have something as simple as two different cases um if you can't do two different cases because that's just again not within budget you can put stickers on one um that would add you know delineate that this is my video watching or my game playing iPad. Um, But there's also another option um, that's built within the software of an iPad. It's called guided access where you can lock a kiddo in. And this is whether it's an AAC app or anything, it's just part of an iPad. So this is actually a little extra bonus helpful thing for all parents. If you give the kiddo your phone or your iPad to keep them quiet, you know, while you're having dinner or whatever, Um, guided access is built into the accessibility features and you can set it up with a passcode and then um, you would triple click. So you push three times on the home button to start it once you're in the app that you want it in. So if you were in your student's communication app, you would triple click the home button and then they can't get out of that app. So that would work for YouTube. That would work for, um, you know, if they've got a favorite game that they like to play or an app that they like to interact with. Um, And then you as the adult, sometimes the kids, if they're smart enough, um, if they see you put in the passcode, that's why I always turn away from my students before I put in the passcode because their little eyes are always watching. Um, And then when you triple click, it's going to ask for a passcode. Then you can put in the passcode and you can end the guided access at any point and get back out and then navigate around the iPad. So that's another option so that if a student has two iPads, then Um, and they pick one up and it's got communication app on it, you can have that one in guided access so they can't get out of it. Um, Or they could try, but you know, and then you'd have to change the passcode and all that fun stuff. But it's worked pretty well for for the students that I've used it with. I did not know you can do that on your cell phone, on the iPhone. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it is an iDevice only. Um, there may be a way on Android, but I'm not as familiar with Androids to know um, exactly how to do that. But on all iPads um, and iPhones, I know you can do that. Wow. See, you know, I'm like, I always learn something new. And this is why I like doing this, because it's so much information that we are not aware of, and we could definitely use it. And so, you know, while we're still on the AAC, before we get into, you know, your company, your business, yeah. Um, 
can you walk us a little bit through the AAC process? You know, how do um, the children, how are they able to get a device? Uh, mm-hmm. What's the process for that? You know, as far as with insurance or through school, how do they do that? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways um, that I have done that. The first and foremost, though, that you will need to know is that you will have to be working with a speech language pathologist in order to get a communication device for your kiddo. Um, That's just because those are the rules set out that we have to write a report that says it's medically necessary, it's beneficial, all of that. But that falls on us as the professional. But just so you're aware, um, a speech language pathologist is the person that's going to have to write a report. Obviously, we would consult with classroom teachers, parents, occupational therapists physical therapists, all of the uh, kiddos care team. Um, But we do have to be the final ones that write the report. Um, So there are a couple different ways. Like you mentioned, there's the school route and there's the insurance route. You can do either or, or you can do both. I've had all of those options. Um, So starting with the school route, um, it is a part of the rules set forth for students with disabilities that you have access to free and appropriate education. um, And that is part of having a communication device. So all school districts in Florida have that option at some level. I can only speak to um, what I'm familiar with with my school is that we would put in and this we is the speech language pathologist, the classroom teacher, the occupational therapist, whoever is there um, puts in application and it's an iPad with a communication app or multiple apps if we're trying to figure out which one is going to be best for them. Um, And then we have six weeks to do a trial where the student has access to the iPad during school and the communication app during school. And then at the, we take data, we look at how they're doing with it, um, that kind of a thing. And then at the end of that six weeks, if we determine that, yes, this is still beneficial for the student, um, we wanna move forward with them having access to it. We fill out another form, we get a signature on a parent home loan agreement, and then it's done. And then the iPad can go back and forth between home and school. And then obviously outside of that, the speech language pathologist, the classroom teacher, we continue talking with the parents about how we're using it at school, how they can use it at home um, and kind of build that um, rapport and that collaboration that way. So that is through the school district. my experience, how I've experienced it through the school district. Now, the other way that we can do is through insurance. And again, you can do both of these at the same time. I have done this multiple times in order for my kids to have access to AAC as fast as possible and have limited breaks between that like trial period and the purchase. So um, insurance is another whole um, different animal, but it's definitely worth it. Um, If a student has a school funded device, once that student leaves their school district, it's up to the district to decide whether they can continue to have that device. So for instance, in Duval County, as long as you're within Duval County, you'll have access to that device. But if my student were to leave Duval County, it would be up to Duval County School District to determine whether they could keep that iPad or whether they would need to reapply with their new school district. So if it's an insurance funded device, though, that is something that is then owned by that student. 
it's owned by the kiddo that the insurance is funding. So that is the route that I tend to go if at all possible. But again, with funding and um, being cognizant of cost, because these things can be crazy expensive, unfortunately. If I could wave my magic wand, I would make them like free for everybody. Um, but knowing that um, that is not, in, not all insurances are created equal either. Um, some like to fund communication devices and some do not. Mm -hmm. um, we do whatever is gonna be most cost effective for the families. So I got a lot on a little tangent there, but um, the insurance, so it's the same type of thing. Again, you would need to fill out some introductory paperwork with the speech language pathologist. I fill out as much as I possibly can for my families and then just highlight the areas I need them to complete. Um, and then some insurances require a trial of a device, some do not. So it's kind of dependent and your speech language pathologist can help you talk, help talk you through that with the insurance companies and decide. Um, and that's why I've kind of liked to do the school district and insurance at the same time, because if I know kind of the idea of a communication app that I'm looking at for a student, if they can have it on their school iPad and be trialing it for that six week period, then I can feel very comfortable with writing a um, evaluation report to submit to insurance um, and know that I can say without a doubt that this student's going to be, you know, this is gonna be medically necessary for them. Um, so once the trial is complete or once the evaluation is written up on the insurance side by the speech language pathologist, that is then submitted to insurance. And then typically the company takes over from there. Yeah. So they would need a prescription card from the family, but they help walk you through all of that. Um, and then they read the company reaches out to the physician because the physician has to write a prescription for the communication device. But the company, again, will reach out to do that. The only thing the family might need to do is take them in for a well visit if they haven't been in a minute. Um, and then after that, it's, we wait on insurance. And then if they approve it, then they ship, the company ships the device out. And then that student owns that device um, for five years. And then they would be eligible for any kind of a upgrade or reassessment or anything like that. So I know that was kind of a lengthy answer and might've been a little convoluted. So hopefully I didn't confuse anyone, but is there anything I can clarify on that or anything? Uh, like I mean, that? I, I think that you, you know, explained the difference between the two. Um, very well. And it seems like the best route to go is through your insurance if possible, because, you know, we, this is something to allow for the, the families to let their chill, their children have a voice. So, you know, making sure that you're owning the device and it's not something that's going to be taken away. I think that is what you know, as a, a part of the focus also there. So definitely, you know, I think going the insurance route seems to be the best way to go for families. Um, yeah. And I've only had, a, there's a few private insurance companies that are a little bit more difficult to get funding through, but I can say that I have never been turned down by a Medicaid funder. Mm -hmm. um, and I have never been turned down by a TRICARE funder. 
Um, so there are certain Blue Cross Blue Shields or Aetnas or things like that that may fund, but they are a little bit more hesitant in their funding. But you can go through the appeals process. And again, a speech language pathologist would be able to help you through all of that. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I'm not sure, too, if there's funding. I know with um, like the step up for student scholarships for those that yeah. may be like in a private school, that may be an option also to assist in uh, purchasing the device. Um, maybe if there is, you know, a difference in what the insurance will pay or, you yeah. know, won't pay. So that could possibly be an option. And then I'm sure there's some foundations that probably would mm -hmm. not mind helping also um, with that. And then one yeah. thing also that I was thinking about was um, on our journey to get our AAC device or just even find a speech therapist that was um, trained or knowledgeable in AAC devices, like we kind of had to shop around a little bit um, yeah. with the therapist because not every speech therapist has experience, you know, or knowledge with AAC devices. So um, how how do parents go about making sure that they are with a therapist that, you know, is trained or has experience? Is there a certification process for the speech therapist um, to be able to, you know, administer or evaluate for a child to be able to get the AAC device? There's no special certification at this time um, as far as designating that you are an AAC specialist or anything like that. Um, there is an assistive technology professional, but that covers all assistive technology. Um, so right now, I would say the best thing for parents to do is upon that initial intake, upon that initial conversation with a speech language pathologist that you might be looking at working with, um, that is, you know, within network of your insurance, if you're going that route, or if you're looking through step up for kids or anything like that, just having that open conversation with them and having the, you know, um, the ability to speak with them, you know, frankly, and be able to say, listen, you know, this is kind of the route that we are interested in going. Do you feel comfortable with that? And then the speech language pathologist should be able to answer that very clearly for you, um, whether they do feel comfortable with that, or if they would rather refer you out to someone else that's within your network or within the area that does have that expertise, because you're right, speech language pathology is a very vast um, open field. We can work with kids, you know, from birth all the way through adults. So um, it does take some time for us to develop this um, competency and, you know, interest in AAC. And not all SLPs have that, um, but there are a good number that do. So I would say that just having that open conversation with them about their experience with that, their interest in that, how comfortable they feel with that, and then I always, always, always tell parents to trust their gut. Yeah. If you are there and even if they're saying things and they're like, yeah, we've got this, no problem. But you, after a couple sessions or whatever, are feeling, yeah, I don't feel like we got this. You know, you've, you've got to trust your gut. Or even, you know, if you if they do say we've got this and they're, you know, still trying, but you feel like they're on the right track, like trust, trust your gut with that and don't ever feel like, you can't pivot yeah. and switch to somebody else. I would much rather have any family that I work with, whether it's in the schools or in a private practice, be able to say, you know, this isn't the right fit. Mm -hmm. I would rather mm -hmm. take have them 
go find where's the right fit for them um, rather than try and struggle through and make it work. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. It's so important to make sure that you're advocating for your child and you know your best. So, um, you know, like Megan was saying, go with your gut. And, you know, if things don't seem the way that, you know, you have goals and plans set out for your child that are going that way, then it is time to pivot. It is time, Mm -hmm. you know, to go look around. And that's okay if you have to tell them, you know, I don't think we're the right fit. It's okay. Everything is not always a match, you know. Right. So just do your research, do your due diligence, and, you know, make sure that you're just getting the best fit for you and your family, um, for your child when you are looking for, I mean, that goes for getting a doctor, therapist, anything, you know, just you have to, you know, make sure that you are um, putting in that work to make sure you're getting the right um, person for your, your child, um, no matter what field it is in. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, okay. So let's talk about your business. Yeah, exactly. You know what you do and, um, you know, how people are able to, you know, sign up and all that good stuff like that. So let's, let's just first talk about, um, your business. Um, what is your business? Yeah, I have started a business called Sensible Literacy, and it's spelled a little different, but there's a purpose behind it. So I spell it S-E-N-S-E-A-B-L-E. So sense, because I believe that a lot of our kids learn very well by activating all of their different senses. So that's why I put that in there and then able because everybody is able. Um, So I put that in there and then literacy, obviously, because I'm extremely passionate about literacy and AAC and literacy just go hand in hand. Um, So that is my private practice. I also have some products available on my website for speech language pathologists or families. Um, I create sensible literacy kits, sensory-based literacy kits. So they come with um, assistive technology supports as far as light tech, so the paper-based, with sensory items that are extensions of a book. So every kit is based off of a book. Um, and every kit comes with, can come with the book if you choose to add that on. They have sensory items, they have AAC items, they have all sorts of different stuff. So those are options that are available. But I have also just started my own private practice um, as a speech language pathologist and am taking on new clients. Um, so that is something that I'm very excited about doing as well and offering those type of services and opportunities for families here locally. Wow, that is amazing. And so can you tell us a little bit about what um, like multi-sensory literacy is? You talk about the sensory um, kits that you have. Um, You know, why, what is the sensory um, for? Why is it so important that kids are activating all of their senses? Yeah, so the language. Absolutely. So the sensory piece is really in there because that helps kids build connections to what they're reading. So a lot of our students, um, and not even kids with special needs, all students, um, the building connections between what you're reading and your real life helps not only with that comprehension piece, it helps develop that interest in learning to read and continuing to be a reader. Um, It also helps build that 
repetition with variety where we're doing the same thing over and over again, but just a little bit different. Um, and so it helps bring that all together. Um, so one of my kits um, is based off of the book called I'm a Dirty Dinosaur. And it's a dinosaur in the book that's tromping through mud and all this fun stuff. And so um, within the kit, the sensory piece has some chocolate pudding in it that will help emulate um, dinosaurs playing in the mud and help emulate the mud piece of it. So then like the idea behind those is that um, I've, these are lessons that I have done in the classrooms that I've that I've done and I just get such great engagement from the students um, because it's an active participant too. They're not just a passive listener that I'm wanting them to engage. I'm wanting to bring them on, which helps with that literacy piece and just that overall communication piece because it's something fun you want to talk about. Um, even if it's something that like with the sensory piece that you're like, I don't want that. No, thank you. Um, then I, you know, honor that 100%, but then I encourage them to be able to tell me that, you know, use their communication, however they're able to, or their communication system to be able to say, no, thanks. I don't want to do that because that's just as important. Yeah. And um, as far as, you know, like the um, children that you work with, do you work with a lot of children that maybe be, um, that might be visually impaired or nonverbal? Definitely nonverbal. Um, at this time, I have any students that have um, visual impairments that I'm aware of on my caseload, um, but I have worked with students that are visually impaired in the past. Um, so being able to offer those different types of symbol sets that might help them depending on what their vision might be, whether it's needing for acuity, larger symbols versus smaller symbols versus the color choices that you use. There's a whole lot of things that can go into play there. But um, I would say probably 95%, if not more, than all of the students that I have worked with um, have been nonverbal or non-speaking or minimally speaking. Um, so those are definitely my jam. Those are my kids. Those are the ones I love talking to and love introducing communication and AAC to. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you, you know, talk about the, you know, using all five senses um, in your kits because uh, I think that it's so important that kids are using all of their senses because I, mm -hmm. I believe that, you know, we don't just use one sense to understand um, things and, you know, figure out what they are. Um, you know, my daughter, she uses her device and she visually cannot see the device well, but if she hears the noise, if she touches something, then, mm -hmm. you know, those are those other senses kicking in to help her understand and activate you know, what it is that she wants. And so it's so important. And I would say uh, to the therapist too, like, you know, we have to use other, you know, senses because just relying on her hitting the button and hearing something that it, she's, she's listening, she needs to touch, she needs to feel, she needs, you know, she needs to use all of her senses to be able to access the device and understand what it is that she is doing. And yeah, um, absolutely. And so, I worked with visually impaired children before also. And, you know, like the storybook boxes or like the kits that you do, it just comes in hand because 
The kids are experiencing things that may help them get over fears that may be barriers to language. Also, uh, when they're able to touch things, they're able to, you know, um, engage in activities that, um, you know, they may do at home by by the senses of the the book or the materials in the book or what have you. So I think that is such a great thing that you do allowing, you know, the children to use all of their senses to to access language. I think that is so important. Um, and, you know, like I said with my daughter, she's been able to access more language using all of her senses and identify things in her environment using all of her senses. So that that yeah. is really important. Yeah, and they're so, not isolated by any means. Yeah. It's all, they're all connected. Yeah. And um, so as far as with your, um, your, with your business, um, sensible literacy, do you take insurance? How do our, our listeners, um, you know, sign up, register to be able to get their child, um, into your, your program? Yeah. Um, so at this time I am working on the insurance piece. I'm in the credentialing. Um, I'm this close to being credentialed with Medicaid, um, and a couple different insurances as well. So, that will be, I will definitely keep that updated on my website, but right now I'm doing private pay, but I'm also a um, direct service provider and direct biller for Step Up for Kids. Um, so if you that scholarship um, or Step Up for Students, I am a direct provider for that. I'm also a um, preferred provider for the Down Syndrome Association of Jacksonville. So they also have um, options for families to have me bill um, DSAJ directly their services. Um, so insurance is coming. It's not quite there yet, but definitely, um, you can keep an eye out on my website for that. Um, my website is sensible literacy. Again, it's S S E N S E A B L E literacy. Um, and if go to backslash services, you'll be able to see more information about um, options for services, signing up for interest so that I can reach out to you and we can have that discussion about whether I would be the right fit or not. And then you'll also be able to see, you know, as my insurance updated, or if you want to fill out that form ahead of time and let me know in the comments, you know, like I'm interested in services. These are this insurance, you know, I can definitely reach out to you um, when I am credentialed with those insurances, which should hopefully be very, very soon. Yes. <laughs> Fingers crossed that Medicaid yes. gets that, that ball rolling as soon as possible. And so do you go to the schools or is it like, you know, after school, you go to their home to work with the children? Um, how do you do that for the uh, families that have the Step Up for Students scholarship? Yes, at this time, I would be going into homes or um, going into the community. So I would be coming to your home. I would be going to the park with you. I would be going to a daycare or an after-school program or anything like that. Um, I would be able to do any of those at this time. Okay, cool. And, um, yeah. you know, and I, and I feel like especially for really any, any therapy, um, the like 
environment that they're most comfortable in is always the best environment yeah. to be able to get the most out of, um, you know, your child. So definitely being able to accommodate the families. Um, that's definitely a great thing. I know a lot of families need that. Um, you know, after working long hours, you know, you don't want to have to travel everywhere to be able to get your child services. So this right. is definitely a great option um, for parents, you know, that are looking for something where it can come to you, uh, you know, or meet you yeah. at a mutual place. So you, you don't have to worry about grabbing all the kids and rushing to therapy and things yeah. like that. Um, and um, so make sure that you guys go and follow on your, on Instagram. Are you mm -hmm. on, and you're on Facebook? Yep. And, um, I have a little bit on TikTok. Um, I have, um, a YouTube channel that I'm working on adding some more things to, but there are some different videos as far as modeling for AEC, um, some things like that on there. So you can definitely find and sensible literacy everywhere, um, on all the socials. So, um, yeah, I'd love it if you guys would follow along and reach out to me if you have any questions or any interest in services. I also do parent coaching. Um, so anything like that, I would be happy to help anybody with. Awesome. I'm so glad that, you know, our listeners are able to be able to learn a little bit more about AAC if you, you know, were not sure what it was or how you could get started uh, with AAC for your child, what your options were, you know, where the services could be done at, um, making sure that you are advocating for your child and finding a provider that can fit those needs for your family and child, especially if you're looking for the AAC device. Um, also, you know, not being discouraged and thinking that your child is not able to possibly use an AAC device. Know that it is possible, um, you know, with, with the work and practice. Uh, like Megan said, all children are able. So, you know, give your child a chance to be able to let their voices be heard by whichever means works best for them to be able to communicate their needs. Um, and, oh my gosh, I thank you so much for coming on and talking about this topic. I feel like it's very important um, because like you said, all of our children, they have voices that deserve to be heard and they want to be heard. So uh, Megan, thank you so much for coming on and talk about talking about sensible literacy. Um, if you guys want to, you know, start with Megan and sensible literacy, get your child signed up, um, make sure that you go onto her website and she is on the social media platforms. Um, you know, school is about to start soon. So make sure you know that you get everything in order now. Um, and, you know, we want your, your child to have a great and positive school year. Um, and so thank you again, everyone, for watching another episode of Two Moms and Some Labels. Thank you, Megan, for coming on and sharing all this great information. And until the next time, we will see you on another episode of Two Moms and Some Labels. Thank you, everybody.